Hey, welcome Resonate Church. It's good to see all of you today. Hey, I know there are families outside of this space. So if you're joining us from our Oakland campus or our beloved Hayward campus, or, or if you're online joining us because you're afraid of the rain, we understand. Um, we're Californians. I get it. But hey, welcome. So thankful that you're joining us right now. Hey, um, a lot of things are happening here, and I, I want to, throughout my message, just kind of share with you, encourage you, maybe perhaps uh, inspire you, but I can't do anything outside of the Holy Spirit. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit will move you in ways that you were not anticipating. And, and so I would just start out with this question. If you could go back any time in your life in the past, where would you go? To what moment would you go back to? Think about that. Which? Well, for me, I would go back to 2024. I mean, 20, well, that's today. Okay, so <laughs> 2004, that's 20 years ago in January. Uh, there, my wife and I, uh, we're starting families and we needed a bigger car. And so we decided to buy a $60,000 SUV. And if I could just go back in time, I would grab myself, shake myself and say, please don't buy that SUV. And instead put that $60,000 into this tiny little company called Apple <laughs> because the stock in January 2004 was worth 34 cents. And if you do the math today with $60,000 worth, you will find me uh, $35 million richer. <laughs> And in that, I wouldn't be a pastor. <laughs> I would not be here. And so the Lord knew better. And so, um, but man, what we're going to hear today in Luke 18 is a dude that actually walks away from something greater, something that actually costs more, something was more at stake and he will walk away. And I think you'll find yourself saying, please don't walk away from this situation. Please don't go. And he will walk and it will teach us a lot about even ourselves. And we're starting a new series called Whatever It Takes. And uh, it's a very timely sermon series because I believe God is moving in a very special way in the midst of our church. If you haven't been around uniquely in just the last few months, the Lord has been supernaturally changing us in the environments of our worship services in Hayward and Oakland, in different spaces like the student ministries. Did you know that this Wednesday, middle schoolers just erupted in a revival where they were worshiping in God, God in ways that would shame us. I mean, would teach us, yes. The next generation is welling up and their affection for Jesus is strong and my hope in them is solid. And I, I see uh, us praying for our ones, the, the ones that we love, family, friends, neighbors, uh, coming to Christ, surrendering their lives to Christ, people who've been far away from God coming, healing from addictions and, and anger and apathy and adultery and all sorts of sin in our lives. And my plea to you is that you would not miss out. Please don't miss out. And I speak from a, a pastoral brotherly heart to say, please don't miss out. It, it, you can miss out. It doesn't mean that you're in the room and you catch it. It's going to require your surrender. It's not the air that we breathe. It's the heart that you offer. And my plea with you is that you wouldn't walk away. At whatever cost, whatever it takes, you would just say, yes, I've been meditating on the verse found in Ephesians 3, verse 19. And it says, and Paul prays 
that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses understanding that we may be filled with the fullness of Christ. And this is what I pray that our city, our people in Hayward, Oakland, everywhere we are will be filled with the fullness of Christ. That is my hope and that we would look back at a moment like this and say, you see, I have no regrets because I offer that to God. Opposed to saying, darn it, I should have done it then because it didn't come back. And so let's look at this. If he, I mean, Luke chapter 18, if you have your Bibles, would you turn there? And I love the turning of pages. Um, if you have a phone, the, the, the evil device, and yet there's an app called the Bible and you're looking at it, I pray that you would not be distracted. Turn to Luke 18, verses 18 through 30. And here in all of our campuses, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? And I'll pray once again that the Holy Spirit Preach a better sermon than the one that you uh, will hear from me today. Luke 18, a familiar passage about a rich young ruler. We'll read starting verse 18. This is the word of the Lord. And the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, well, why do you call me good? Nobody's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have to distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when, when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter says, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. That is the word of the Lord for this great anticipated Sunday. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Would you please have a seat? Thank you. Jesus here in this text gives us three invitations. And I want those three invitations to strike your heart. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will woo you in ways that you have not been wooed to the invitation of Jesus in his open arms to you, for he wants to give you something better. For Steve, Steph Curry could invite you right now tonight for dinner at his house, and that would be an invitation that you could not refuse, and yet Jesus' invitation is better. Brock Purdy could actually invite you to the championship, the Super Bowl this Sunday. And that's an invitation that I hope you don't refuse. But I will tell you today, Jesus will offer you an invitation that is better. I pray that you will not deny Jesus' invitation today. I hope you don't click on, maybe. I hope you don't do that. Waiting on some offer that might be better because let me tell you, friend, there's none better than the invitation of Jesus. And what he's going to invite you towards today is going to be far greater and far more beautiful and far more outlasting than anything that you treasure here in life. 
And so let me start by showing you the first invitation that he gives this person and to us. First, Jesus invites you to be transformed. He wants you to be transformed. And listen, this is the hope for every person who said, well, the last time I remember just thriving in the Lord, being in the spirit was when I was in high school camp. If you are there, okay, and it's been years and years and years, here's the hope, an invitation afresh today for Jesus to say, come, be transformed once again. And this passage starts by addressing one of the most basic fundamental questions of Christianity. Look at verse 18 with me. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What does that look like? And right when Jesus is about to explain what that looks like, that's a pretty basic question for Jesus. He's answered it many times, but all of a sudden, instead of talking about his life and the fulfillment thereof, he says and talks about money and possessions. Huh, why? Why is he talking about money and possessions and tied to eternity, how we get eternity? Well, this is exactly where he meets us in deep relevance today. Don't you know that if you live in the Bay Area, that we are in an area that might be the most wealthiest place in all of the land, in all of the globe. But not only that, Bay Areans tend to be some of the richest people on the face of this earth. And if you think, well, I'm pay living paycheck to paycheck, to paycheck. I, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have much savings. Could I just share with you a global perspective? Do you know that the global median income per day is $8 a day. That's the average. So if you're making more than eight bucks a day, man, you're filthy rich. Listen, my son, who is 14 year old, he's 14 years old. He has a job job. You know what I mean? Where he had to interview. And guess what? He gets paid $18 an hour. An hour. My son is filthy rich. You are filthy rich. And this is why Jesus warns us right now, it is really, really, really hard to go to heaven from a place like this. It really is very, very difficult. Now consider this rich young ruler. We don't know his actual name, but he's given three identities, which pretty much is his name. He is really rich. He's really young, probably really good looking. And he is a ruler, which means he has lots of power and authority. And from the world standpoint, man, he has it all. He has it all, man. He's gifted. He is influential. He is wealthy. He is young. He has it all. Except the only person that thinks he doesn't have it all is himself. And this is the reason why he comes and asks Jesus this question in verse 21. He says, all these Jewish commandments, 613 of them, uh, it's called the mitzvot. He, he, he says, all these commandments I've, I've, I've had and I've been obeying them and I kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And Jesus says, hey, listen, you are an impressive young man. You, you have a following. You're young. You're influential. You're great. And maybe Jesus is saying something that, uh, like that about you. He says, but you, you lack one thing. You see, your hands are closed. And I want you to open your hands because if you let go of the very things that you're clinging on to, I will fill your hands with the fullness of myself. 
and something that you will have today that is far greater. Today, the dividends will be true and it will play out for all of eternity. And all of a sudden, look at what this young man does. Verse 23, but when he had heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And he denies Jesus' invitation to walk away. Why? Because he was wealthy. Now, if you're like me and you've read this passage maybe a hundred times, if you've been a Christian for some time and you've read this thing, you're like, honestly, as you read it, you're like, oh, thank God that he's not talking about me. Right? Don't you think that? You're like, what if Jesus came and said, I want you to sell all that you have? I'm like, oh, man, that'd be in a, we'd be in a pickle, Right? You're like, oh, no, no, I'm so glad that I know the gospel. I go to a gospel-centered church. I know that my gospel is not based on my works or what I give as a percentage. I know it is in the 100% reality of the life of Jesus and the work of Jesus. And that's where I put my faith, and faith is free, and therefore I'm saved. Amen? Yeah, amen. And, though, and you're like, okay, so what if God were to ask you that? Would you, would you follow him? Would you sell everything? I, I want to tell you something. Your salvation, your eternal life is not based on a percentage. You know how I know? Because when we read Luke 18 here, um, Jesus actually asked for 100%. Um, but when we read Luke 19, we confront, um, Jesus confronts this man named Zacchaeus, a, a tax collector, and he says, I need you to give 50% to distribute to the poor. So the question is, is it 100% that Jesus requires or is it, uh, 50%? Is it 10%? What does Jesus require for us to have eternity? Well, I could be clear to tell you that it's not a percentage, but you know what it is? It's lordship. Right. It's not percentage. It's lordship. I want you to catch this boy's language to see that it's not lordship in his life. Verse 18, the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, this man thought Jesus was a teacher that could show him the way to salvation. He just didn't know that Jesus was the source of all salvation. And he didn't know that. This man thought that Jesus was a good teacher to listen to and learn from, but he did not see him as Lord to obey and to surrender to. And there's a difference. And the question is, how do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus as a teacher, a moral teacher that could bless you, that if you follow his ways, that you'll have more peace, that you will have more prosperity, that you might have more health, that a moral life is a better life? And certainly Jesus gives us those things. But my question is, is he your Lord? Is he someone that you're willing to surrender all things to, to obey and to serve? And my sincere fear and I say this out of deep love and passion for you in your life, is that many of us see Jesus as a teacher, a teacher, just somebody to learn from, somebody who could just bless us rather than a Lord to surrender to. And this passage shows us how hard it is to surrender to the Lord especially in a place like this. In fact, after he walks away from Jesus' invitation to follow him, look at what Jesus says. He says, verse 24, he says, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle uh, than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying here is here in the Bay Area, it's really, really, really hard. 
as hard as a camel to go into an eye of a needle. You know, I mean, there's a lot of hyperboles. There are a lot of theories. There are a lot of scholars who say, oh, the eye of a needle is like a little cave that you have to duck into. And it's not impossible. Listen, it's impossible. And this is why Jesus says at the end, he says, you know, he says, it is impossible, but all things impossible are made possible with God. See, this is the only way. It is really, 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 really hard. Wealth could blind us. And can I just tell you that you and I are so wealthy that it mutes the need for the affection of Jesus and for the blessing of Jesus because we believe that wealth is a blessing in and of itself and that's it. And Jesus says, open your hands. I have so much more for you. So much more. And this is why Jesus in the New Testament warns us about the destructive nature of the temptation of sex. Only one time out of the 10 times he talks about wealth and money and possessions. This is really, really a temptation that we face. Let me give you a historic example of this. Andrew Walls is a scholar and a professor. He once said, look at all the great religions, wherever it originated. Fascinatingly, they all remain where it started. For instance, if you look at Islam, it started in Arabia, in Mecca, and the center of Islam is still in Mecca. It didn't move. Consider Buddhism. It started in the Far East, and the center and the influence is still in the Far East. But that's not with Christianity. What happened to Christianity? Christianity originated in Jerusalem, but we realize that that's no longer the center. In fact, Christianity migrates, and the question is why? Well, what happened when Christianity was spreading um, these, these uh, unlearned Hellenistic Gentiles, barbaric people started responding to the gospel, and they started taking this message to the Mediterranean, to Rome, and to North Africa, and to Alexandria, and it stayed there for a number of centuries until these uh, Northern Europeans, you know, Franks and Germans, if you watch the movie Gladiator, all the people that show up there, they actually took the gospel, and they started sending it into the northern center of all of Europe. And that's where it stayed for almost a thousand years until the Americas took wind and the center of Christianity came to America for a couple hundred years. And sadly, it's moving. If you have not noticed, you look at Europe, it's no longer there. It's no longer the center of our country. And you realize the influence of Christianity is now going into Africa and Latin America and Southeast Asia. In fact, if you do the demographic studies, you will see that 100 years ago, 90% of Christians were all in the northern hemisphere of the globe. But now 50% remain up north and 50% in the southern hemisphere. In fact, 100 years ago, you would look at the continent of Africa and you would see only 1% Christian. But today, there's 50% Christians of those people who are celebrating and worshiping and surrendering their life to Christ, which is a glorious thing. But it's not such great news in the fact that it goes there to leave what was here. It was here. And the question is, why did it move? Why did it migrate? Why did that happen? Why does Christianity constantly change? It didn't do that for Islam. It didn't do that for Buddhism. Why? And Andrew Walls explains, at the heart of the gospel is the cross. And the cross is all about giving away power. 
It's all about giving and sharing resources and serving others. It is anti-consumption. The cross is anti-comfort. And therefore, when Christianity is in a place of power and wealth and comfort, the radical message of sin and grace and for our call to carry out the cross for his fame becomes muted and it becomes mutated. A virus gets through and he eventually wipes us out. And this is exactly what's happening in Europe and this is actually creeping in here in America. And we look at our faith And our faith is weak. And that's why it migrates to the fringes. Don't you see the gospel always penetrates around the fringes. People saying, we need you, Lord. They have received the temptation of hardship. And we're like, no matter what happens, we reject wealth. We reject prosperity because you are our prosperity. And one day heaven will come. And we want you because you are at the center of the throne. This is what people want. And what does America want? Walmart, (laughs) Kmart, you know, stuff. Let me be happy. Let me be comfortable. Let me do this and that. Let me have wealth. The gospel is always taking ground in the fringes, and therefore it's leaving power. It's leaving wealth. It's leaving comfort. And if we don't do anything about it, eventually what will happen is it will turn all of us into just moral people, not transform people. And when you have a bunch of moral people living life, they will soon die and the impact of Christianity will be no more. God forbid that that happens in our country. God forbid it happens in the Bay Area. God forbid that it happens at Resonate Church. God forbid. And so he invites us to follow him unlike this ruler. And my question is, If you could go back in time, wouldn't you tell the rich young ruler, please don't go. I know you think you have a lot to give and a lot to lose, but it's nothing compared to the treasure of heaven. Will you please not go? So then I ask you today, what are you holding on to that keeps you from experiencing the fullness of God? Hayward, Oakland, online community, here, what are you holding on to still that you refuse to let go as to mute, as to lose the fullness of God that could come into your life. Is it money? Is it your sexual liberty? Are you living with your boyfriend? Are you cohabitating? Is it your sexual identity? Is it your adulterous affair? Maybe perhaps it's your job, the fact that you're good at it, the fact that you have um, money that is coming in. Is it your success of your family, your kids' sports? What are you holding on to? And some of us are just apathetic because I truly believe here in this room that many here in Hayward, here in other spaces, that you are not letting go. And because you are not letting go, you are actually receiving or settled with receiving less. And this is why you are apathetic. You say that you've surrendered your life to Christ. But when you do an audit in your life, there's no real surrender at all. It's just an agreement mentally. It's a mental consent to say you are Lord, but the Lordship has not come into your life yet. Why? Because if it has, you say, take it all. Take it all, Lord. Don't miss out, please, on the transformative power God has for your life. He says in the Bible, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? 
What are you holding on to that keeps you from experiencing the fullness of God? I love Isaiah 54. It says, don't hold back from me, from all that I have for you. And God is calling you today to just let go right now. Do you know why he calls you to let go? Because he loves you. He loves you so much. He made you. And because he made you, he knows exactly what you need. And yes, pretty things that sparkle and the things of comfort here are all nice. But it's nothing in comparison to what we are thirsting for. Everything else of this world will get us thirstier. Drink from the well of the true water, the water of Jesus Christ, the infinite eternal water. Because he loves you, he tells us these things. So don't let the opportunity to follow him pass you by. Here's the second invitation. Jesus invites you to something better. Something better. Verse 29, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left his house or wife or brothers or parents or children, even children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more. In fact, the Mark's account here, there's, there's this account, there's Matthew's account, and there's Mark's account. He says a hundred times more. A hundred times more in this time and also in the age to come eternal life. And, and church, I want to tell you right now, declare it to you, that what he is inviting us is better than everything that you and I are holding on to. Jesus is better than your money. Jesus is better than your sexual immorality. Jesus is better than your esteem. Jesus is better than the respect of your peers. The peace of Jesus is so much better than the anxiety of your heart. The forgiveness of Jesus is far greater than the, uh, the bitterness of your life. Jesus is better than your work, your success, your, your uh, achievements in this world. God's plan for your marriage, though it's hard. God's plan for your singleness. God's plans for your life is far greater than any script that you could possibly write with your creative mind. All the prosperity that you could dump into a journal, say, I want this to happen. God's way is greater. God's way is greater. It's far greater. And look at this. How do I know that? Because he made you. He made you to find your fullness in him. And then you realize that surrendering everything to him is not sacrifice, but it's just smart. It's just smart. He says here, right? Jesus says, surrender everything and I will give you a hundred times more. I mean, who wouldn't hear? You know, it's at the exchange of a hundred dollars, we'll get a hundred hundred thousand dollars. And you're like, oh, I wouldn't do that. And keep the hundred dollars. Who would do that? But this is what he's saying here. He says, this happens now. You don't have to wait. He says, that blessing is now. Uh, the hundredfold return of that investment. He says, now, this age, verse 29 says, and for the age to come, you can't get rid of it. And there's none better than the news of the gospel. None. God who created all things, rule over all things, made you in his image. Do you know why? He made you in his image because he wanted a relationship with you. He wanted a relationship with you. That's why he made us. In, it's, not, it's not just for creative, like, display. He made us in his image so that he could relate to us, that we could relate to God. And he wants a relationship with us. But what do we do? We rejected him. We turned our face against him. And so he sends his only begotten son, Jesus, and he dies on the cross. And on the cross, God turns his face against his son so that he could turn his face towards us. And God reveals, us in, in to, reveals himself to us in his kindness, in his grace. 
And Jesus dies, and on the third day, he rose from the grave, testifying victory over sin and death. And that means you and I, because our older brother Jesus found victory over death, if we put our faith in him, we too will have victory over sin and death. No more will sin plague us in our lives. No more will, will death plague us forever, that we will be alive forever in Jesus Christ and forevermore. Amen. Hallelujah. And the, and the question is, who would say no to this? Like who? Who would say no to this offer? It's crazy. Why are you holding on to the things of this world when you could have Jesus? But you might say today, Ryan, truth be told, man, like money and power and stuff, man, they're, they're, my desires for them is too strong. It really is. In fact, if I was in that road and Jesus came to me and said, you know, you must sell everything, I'll give you a hundredfold. I'm not sure if I could let go. And I would just argue with you that it's not that your desires are too strong. I think your desires are too weak. It's too weak. If I were to take you to Taco Bell and you had a feast, a Taco Bell feast, and you came up to me and said, man, that was an amazing Mexican cuisine. I love Mexican food. I'm like, hold up. I'm like, hold up. There's a place for Taco Bell, man. I love Taco Bell. I love me some Taco Bell, okay? But it ain't real Mexican food, right? Because if you really love Mexican food, your favorite item in Taco Bell would not be Mexican pizza. And I know you love Mexican pizza. I know that. Okay, so you don't love Mexican food. You like Taco Bell? That's cool. There's a place for it. If you were to tell me, oh my gosh, like that Mexican cuisine was amazing. I say, hey, your expectations are too low. It's too low. There's something much greater. And this is why C.S. Lewis says this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, things of this world. When infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer in the holiday at sea, at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. My goodness. We love mud pies of this world. Gosh, and, and the desires of mud pies, I mean, it's just like in our slums, like we... A great illustration of this is my, my, my family, my daughter, my wife in particular, love this show called Nailed It. You know that show, Nailed It, where they show professional bakers, they bake a model something, and they try to get the average baker to copy that, and it just goes all bad, right? It just goes all bad. Let me show you the first one. Here is a, a cake of Mickey, Minnie Mouse. But, and the second one that nailed it, right? I mean, it's like a mini possum. I don't know what that is but it comes out in my nightmare. All right, that's, it. That's, that's all I know. Here's this little cute lamb, lamb of Jesus. The second one is a taxidermy. I don't know what that is. Blue eyes staring at your face. I pray that that won't be part of your dreams tonight. The third one, the, the third one look at the third mud pie, man. This is like, it's supposed to be an owl. And that, that's a mud pie. That's a mud pie. Listen, your career, mud pies. Your wealth, mud pies. Your dreams for your children, mud pies. Your esteem, mud pies. Your respect at work, mud pies. You see, it takes so little to please us. Don't drink from the stale, lukewarm water of the well of this world, but drink, take a long, cool, refreshing drink of the living water. Jesus Christ, he says, you'll never thirst again. Once you taste my water, you'll never thirst again. 
Don't be like this guy, verse 23. When he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Man, what a sad verse. Do you know that all the invitations that Jesus gave in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, this is the only time, the only time where somebody rejected him. This is a sad, sad verse. Man, I once heard a story of years ago of this little girl who was coming to age, and she went to the store with her mom, saw these plastic pearls in the grocery store, and her mom kindly bought it for her because she thought it was the most beautiful thing. She wore it everywhere. She even took it to bed and wore it into her sleep. And the father would come and say, Honey, could I have your pearls? And she would say, Daddy, I love you, but not my pearls. You could have anything in this room, but not my pearls. They're too beautiful. And the daddy would say, that's okay, baby girl. You go to bed now. He would do this weekly and monthly over and over and over again. And she would say, but not my pearl, daddy. Anything else. I love you, but not my pearls. Well, one night, the daddy does it again, and she refuses to give it. And as she was going to bed, she thought about her daddy and said, I actually love my daddy more than these pearls. So she actually wakes up, gets out of bed with her pearls and knocks on the door, goes into the daddy's room and says, Daddy, here are my pearls. I want you to have them because I realize you are more beautiful than these pearls. I want you to have them. And she let go in her hands. And as the daddy saw her hands wide open, giving her most prized, beautiful possession to him, he said, Baby, I have actually a gift for you and pulls out a little red velvet box and inside of it were real pearl necklaces. And he went on to say, you see, now that you have the real ones, you no longer need the fake ones. Everything we treasure on earth here is just a plastic version of the gospel. Everything. He is the real treasure. He is far better. And my question to you is, what are you holding on to that keeps you from experiencing the better? Do you believe when he says to surrender your pearls that he'll give you something 100 times better? If you don't believe that, I just have a question for you. How could you believe Jesus in everything that he says about you and of himself, including his grace and his salvation, and yet not believe in his provision? Could I ask it in another way? Why do you have faith in his salvation, yet no faith in his provision? It's the same faith, don't you know? Because both of the faith go to the faith of Jesus Christ. Faith in a person, not the product. And so if you say you believe in Jesus, that means you believe that he's able to save you, but at the same time you believe that he could provide for you. That every word that he writes in this word will come true. And so if you don't believe every word, then you believe in no word. And the reality is, if you're holding back on Jesus and still clinging on to plastic pearls, perhaps you will not follow him. Perhaps you don't have lordship. Perhaps he doesn't have lordship over your life. And my plea with you is, would you let go? As you trusted in his salvation, will you trust in his provision? Will you trust that? Here's the third thing. Jesus invites you to receive his grace. You're like, well, where would I see this in this text? Well, you kind of have to look carefully. When you look at the Bible, there's often a header and a heading. It says the rich young ruler. Well, it should be rich young rulers because you realize there are two rich young rulers in this story. The first one is the one that walked away from Jesus. And the second one is the one that offered his life, Jesus himself. He is the ultimate rich young ruler. He's rich. He owns 
the cosmos. He was young. He was approximately about 31 years old, and he rules the world. He rules the world, not just a province. He rules the world. And yet, he says, verse 29, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parent or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in this age eternal life. He says nobody will, will leave the stuff in this world and not receive a hundredfold except him because he left his comfort. He left his domain. He left heaven. He left his father. He left his Holy Spirit. And he did not not only receive a hundredfold of what he left, but he got a billion times of what he didn't deserve. <laughs> he received the wrath for us. And Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his, not a portion of his wealth, but through his poverty, you and I might become rich. But not only that, not only was he made poor physically, but could I tell you the most meaningful is that he was poor in spirit, do you know that passage here where it says the rich young ruler was really sad? Could I just share with you that that's a poor translation? It's a poor translation. He wasn't just sad because the Greek word there is a word called paralupos. Paralupos is where we get the English word peril, which means danger. You see, it's far more intense than just sad. You know, when the Niners lose, we get sad. When the Warriors keep losing, we get sad. But this is like desperate despair, tremendously grieved. And this young man felt that grief because he was walking away from eternal life. Do you know that the other rich young ruler, Jesus, also experienced that? In fact, that that same word, paralupos, is found in Matthew 26 describing the other rich young ruler. Matthew 26, the rich young ruler found himself at a garden called Gethsemane, right before he was about to go to the cross. And he prays to the Father, Father, would you allow this cup to pass from me? And it says he was grieved tremendously in great despair, so much so that this distress went into him being in shock and he started bleeding blood, just sweating blood all over his forehead. Why? Why the shock? Because he was experiencing the ultimate dislocation so that you might be located. He was experiencing the ultimate disorientation so that you might find God. The only way you could find God is if God raises you up and shines his face upon you. Because we were blind and we could not see. He has to heal us of that. And so he lost his significance he lost his power. He lost his home. He lost everything that we cling on to today to say, this is myself. I'm not going to let go. What Jesus gives up his self so that you and I today could find a new self, a new self found in the life of Jesus. And now we are adopted as sons and daughters of an ultimate glorious king. And the rich young ruler, when offered everything, said, no. My prayer to you is that you would say yes. That you would just open your heart. 
It's one thing to have God as your boss. It's another thing for God to be your helper, your sugar daddy, you know, um, your example. But in order, listen to me, in order for God to be your savior, you've got to let go of the very thing that you're finding salvation in now. If it's your work, if it's your family, if it's your aspiration here in this world, would you just let go so that his grace, his transformation, his blessings that are greater than everything that you're holding on to will be given to you. Drop the plastic pearls. He wants to give you the real ones. And the question is, what are you holding on to that keeps you from experiencing his grace? And so in all of our campuses, would you pray with me? Just would you bow your heads wherever you are, here in this room, in Hayward, in Oakland, in, in on, on online campus. Would you just have your eyes closed and, and would you please not miss this moment? I don't want you to in 20 years regret what could have been because you refuse to let go. Forfeiting the fullness of his grace today and forevermore. And as you have your eyes closed, would you in front of you just open your hand? Just open your hand as a physical gesture of, uh, of the very things that you, you are um, wanting. And, and here's the question. What is the thing in your hand that God is asking you to let go? What is that thing that gives you so much meaning in life? You're like, I need this. Is it possessions? Is it aspirations? Is it even a person, uh, your sexual liberty and identity? What is it? It's so hard to let go. Now go ahead and close those hands. Close those hands and cling on to that. Would you just cling on to that? You're saying it's impossible to let go. If I let this go, I am nothing. I am nothing. And the disciples said the same thing. And that's why when they saw the young man walk away, they said, then who could be saved? And Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And if your hands were to open, it is only because the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that will enable you to let go and trust God. And so if you feel the Spirit moving you, would you just let go from the very things that you're clinging on to physically, emotionally, spiritually? Would you just let go and let God have it? And that through it will come salvation, through it comes His grace, through it comes His transformational power, through it will come something greater. Father, help us to let go and trust you. Help us even now in this moment in all of our campuses as we let go, we, we believe that the Spirit is leading us. And as it does, Father, I, I, I pray that we will find ourselves just trusting you, anticipating that you are greater. And we want nothing else, nothing else but you. Will you help us? Don't just give us the courage, give us the faith the very faith that we put in you. And if, if there are some, some of us in this room and in our campuses that don't know you, never made that move, never made that faith declaration, never opened our hands and always closed our hands and try to follow you, which is impossible. If we were today moved to open our hands and say, everything is yours. Help us to experience the fullness of yourself. That's if we believe that by faith they are saved. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for changing us today. You are great. You are greater. You are everything. Make us into disciples, and please don't leave our land. May we continue to make disciples in all of our cities and in the world that you might receive all the glory and fame. We pray in the matchless name of our King, our Savior, and Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Let's give him glory.
Let's give him glory. Amen.